Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by the wonderful Nikki Alderson. Nikki is a specialist international corporate and executive coach who supports law firms, chambers, and other legal organizations retain female talent and empowers female lawyers to achieve their career ambitions. She doesn't stop there. She's also a former criminal barrister, active speaker, and most recently, Amazon best-selling author for her amazing book, The Raising the Bar. So welcome, Nikki. Thank you. It's good to be here, Rob. Um, I mean, it's a real pleasure to have yet another highly esteemed guest on the podcast. So uh, thank you for traveling down um, from the north to, to be with us. Um, but before we dive into all of that, we do have our customary question on the podcast, um, which is suits related, as you may know by now. So on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real do you rate the hits of these suits? I've got to really disappoint you here because I have never seen it. And I think the reason why is because from an early age, when I was doing training and so on, I was watching This Life. I'm really showing my age now. At Bar School in London, I was watching This Life. And then more recently, what if I watched Silk um, with Maxine Peake, who I think was a great female role model in that. But then after that, it was really... Busman's holiday. So I've never seen suits. I'm sorry. So it'll be a zero based on the fact you can't <laughs> offer an opinion without seeing it, right? Absolutely. I'm sorry. No, yeah. fair enough. Fair enough. So I mentioned at the top there, you, um, you've you come down from a city which is very dear to me. I studied there. Um, I've made lifelong friends there in Leeds, but I have to confess I haven't been back for a year or two. So what am I missing out on up there? Oh, you know, Leeds is great. I mean, what I love about Leeds is because it's so near to the country, you can actually get out and go for walks and so on. And I'm actually from Sheffield originally, but it seemed like a natural yeah. return home to Yorkshire. So yeah, you should come up sometime. I will, I will. And so we have to kind of digest that whole introduction because you, you keep very busy. Um, but let's try and go back to the, the sort of beginning. Did you always want to be a barrister? No, I wanted to be a journalist okay. when I was 14 or so at school. And I had a work placement at the Sheffield Star where I ended up going to court with the court reporter. And what was interesting about it was at that age, um, they directed that I couldn't really, it wasn't suitable that I go in the Crown Court because of a lot of the um, serious cases that they were dealing with. So I went to the magistrate's court and was dealing with bus vandalism. Okay. And it was because the journalist seemed very inspired by this topic, which didn't really inspire me, that I thought, you know what, I could do better than the journalist and I could be a lawyer. So that's what started it for me. Okay. And what was your specialist area as a, as a barrister? I, I did criminal law. Yeah. Um, I practiced criminal law from, well, the word go, really, 1996 until I finished in 2017. Okay. And I know, what did you particularly enjoy the most about that position and, and your time as a, as a barrister? I think making a difference was really important to me and particularly when I got involved with the voluntary work in Jamaica, just knowing that you really were affecting somebody's life and it was such an important job to do. And that for me, I really felt very passionate about the work that I did. But obviously with that comes great responsibility as well. So it wasn't without its stresses, it's got to be said. Yeah. And you touched on it there, the um, your your pro bono work in Jamaica supporting the death row attorneys. Just tell us a little bit more about that, because that's really, like you say, it's, it's, it's gripping to hear. And I want to know, I'm sure our listeners will be fascinated to know more. Mm. Well, it was really life affirming work. I, I went when I was about eight years call. Yeah. And... 
I got involved in a bar human rights project where you went out for about two months at a time and we were supporting the attorneys there who were representing people who faced the death penalty if they were convicted. Um, whilst I was there, I was the first barrister who actually got involved in a full contested case from start to last. And wow. unfortunately, it was one of those as well where even just reading the case, you could see that there was not enough evidence to base a conviction. And during the two weeks that I was in the court, I observed... Um, inadmissible evidence going before the court, witness intimidation, jury nobbling, judicial bias, you name it. Whatever could have gone wrong for those two men on trial, it went wrong for them. And at the end of it, two weeks later, the jury returned two guilty verdicts and both of them were sentenced to death. And just being involved in that and, and one of them in particular, you know, being involved in his case and knowing, having got to know his mother, it was just, it was harrowing, absolute harrowing. But the, it didn't end there. Um, I then continued to help whilst I was in Jamaica and also whilst I was back in the UK. But I also got wind that both of them had been very seriously assaulted whilst on death row. And the man that I'd been representing was stabbed 23 times by other inmates, possibly with guards, you know, turning a blind eye. Yeah. And... I just thought, wow, I, I really have to get this this guy out. And I met him after the event. He'd just been returned back to the prison from hospital where he'd been on life support for days, if not weeks. And I will never, ever forget that image of no, the of man coming to me with bandages and gauzes all over him and, and absolute fear, yeah. just being returned to the place where he'd merely lost his life and with no guarantees at all of his safety. But he said to me, the next time I visited him, when he was slightly better, um, you ought to write a book about this. <laughs> and I, you know, said no promises, but it set us... It, it, it planted a seed. Planted a seed, exactly. Yeah, good yeah. for you. So, and we'll definitely come on to, to that, of course. Um, but whilst you were a barrister, what challenges did you face and how did you overcome them? Because I guess that will lead on to our further discussion as well. But, you know, what were some of the challenges you found you, found you faced? The one... Major challenge for me was that I was involved mostly with child sex cases. Now, that was a choice because I became a grade four prosecutor. But the reality is that those sort of cases are very harrowing to deal with. And the subject matter doesn't exactly thrill you. I didn't particularly enjoy what I was doing, even though obviously the outcome was important and all the rest of it. The second challenge I think I faced was then when I came on to be a mother And I'd had two children and returned to the bar both times full-time because I had to do that. You don't have any part-time options in the criminal bar. Um, Nor, frankly, do I think there should be because I don't see how Crown Courts would operate on a part-time basis. However, um, it was at that point that I realized that I couldn't do my job at the level I was doing it at and service the family as well in the way that I wanted to, particularly as at that point, I think by baby two, um, my husband was still working away in London and it, it was hard to to juggle everything. And and that's a common problem with a lot of my clients as well. Yeah. And, and, and that's really, thanks for sharing that because I think that's very important. Um, I guess if you were to go back and look at your younger self regarding juniors looking at going into the law, what advice would you give to them? Because I understand your path wasn't all conventional, right? Mm, I had some advice. I was doing a mini pupillage years ago, maybe when I was about 
16 or 17. Yeah. And the guy who was showing me the ropes at the barrister's chambers in Sheffield has now become a judge and is very successful. And I remember at the time he was bemoaning even then legal aid cuts and various other things. And yeah. you know, the problems have only got worse in many ways for criminal barristers. And he was effectively trying to put me off and say, you know, there are better things to do. But I ignored that advice. And what I would say is that if you have a passion to do something, then go ahead and do it. And even though I have now taken a different path, there is no regret. There is no sense that I have in any way wasted a career. I feel like I've had a great innings at the bar. But actually, for me, it was a different time and different passions and different things were coming up for me that wanted made, made me want to move on yeah and life does move on you evolve and you you know inherit new passions and that was another question I was going to ask you because I think you're quoted to say the sort of career crossroads mm. and you know what really inspired you to branch out to become an author and many other things that you do today but particularly be an author well I think the, the, the career crossroads moment came firstly when I returned back from Jamaica because that yeah. was then the am I going to carry on with this for the rest of my life? And actually, because I had coaching then, it really got me back on track with the career. And I did it very successfully for another 10 years at least. But the power of coaching never left me. So when over those 10 years, I had my doubts about whether or not this is what I wanted to do forever, I always thought back to coaching and thought, there may be something in that. Yeah. And so it was that I continued with my job full-time at the bar but I also did a quite intensive coaching qualification, which went on for two years. I had to have guinea pig clients. I had to prove a certain number of hours, coaching hours. I did a thesis, various other things. Um, and I always had it as a potential plan B. But as I was just finishing that course, I met my husband. And so we went on to have a family and it wasn't really the right time. Yeah. But by maybe three, it was a kind of now or never moment. And I didn't want to let go of the passion that I had for coaching and thought, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. It's not worked out too badly. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And of course, we have to tell, and as I said at the top of the podcast, you know, you are the author of an Amazon bestselling book, Raising the Bar. So come on, tell us more about that. Well, what's interesting about this is that as a coach, I was becoming a specialist in certain subjects. And it yeah. was then I quite enjoyed writing about it and thinking about it now. Maybe it was to do with that passion years ago that I had to be a journalist, but I've written so many blogs and directed my clients to so many of those blogs that I just had a feeling that there was more in me to give. And then I was recommending certain other coaches' books to clients. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I've got my own material here. I can do it myself. Um, And because I had, I think at that time, 40 blogs wow and I'd also been involved in a collaborative book where I'd already written one chapter for somebody else I thought you know what I can I can do this myself I'm a great believer as a coach in having a goal and setting out a plan to get there and I think in 2018 I'd written on my 2019 goal board that I was going to write a book but what happened was I think in August I reviewed my goal board and I thought oh, well, where am I with that whole idea about writing a book? Yeah. And I was not very far forward. So I had a word of myself and I thought, right, okay, better get this book written. So I decided on the 14th of August, I was going to write a book. And by the 23rd of October, it was a 
Amazon number one best-selling book. So how does it feel to be a, an Amazon best-selling author? It sounds pretty cool, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm pleased. I, that's another thing about, you know, the stuff that I do now. The things that I used to moan about when I was in Chambers about, oh, you know, the clerks having to manage a diary and, and certain issues be- between us. That used to drive me mad. But now because I have to do everything myself in terms of diary management, yep. marketing and all of that sort of stuff, it was so important, I think, as well, to raise my profile, to raise my credibility, especially now as well that I'm going on to doing a lot more um, speaking at events and so on in terms of my expertise, to have a book as well to, to sort of back that up, yeah. I think is really important. And it's the book, frankly, that I wish I'd had myself. Yeah. Because it's, um, it's all there. It's stuff that I've learned through. The, I, I put a little bit about my own experiences at the bar, the challenges that I've had. But it's not all about the bad stuff. It's about the solutions. And for me, a massive part of that was coaching. And so there were coaching hints, tips, strategies in there as well. So, But it's great as well because it's got generic appeal. Even though I wrote it for female lawyers, I'm hearing from other people in other industries that they're finding it equally helpful. Good, good. And I guess, you know, when people hear, oh, Amazon bestselling author, you know, if people have similar inspirations, and that's what we're trying to get from this podcast is to inspire so many others to take their passions. What steps do you actually have to take to get there? How does it work? Break well, it down. Yeah, I mean, firstly, you've got to, you've got to write something, you know, <laughs> yeah. it seems obvious. And, yeah. and I think that was the hardest part. I remember um, when I was getting involved in this original collaborative book, that was what took the big chunk of time and I had to go into monk mode to really dig deep and think about what the story was and how I could describe experiences in it in a way that readers would relate to or find interesting but once you've got into the habit of writing something then it becomes a lot easier to think of themes and to think about as well what your audience would yeah find valuable or useful to to read um in fact mine is a book which was self-published with help so i didn't get into all the nuts and bolts of formatting and editing and all that sort of stuff i had somebody else help me with that but um yeah i haven't gone through a publisher although you know that's another option for maybe later down the line or for my second book and that um, comes nicely <laughs> onto what i was going to say there's such a thirst for continued content these yeah. days in whichever shape or form or medium it will be so what's in the pipeline for the future can you give us any snippets well yeah i think there's there's two two things um that i have really clear visions around firstly since we're talking about the book there was a chapter in this book that i took out at the last minute because it felt a little bit too much about starting your own business and your USP and networking and all that sort of stuff. So I pulled that chapter. So I already have chapter one of whatever book it may be that I go on to do in the future, especially given I feel I'm branching out, not just now looking at the legal profession, but also similar challenges about the retention of women in financial services, in medicine, in engineering and tech and so on and so forth. But secondly, I am really wanting this year in particular to develop my speaker business. So looking at ways I can be in front of a a stage, you know, doing keynote speaking and um, also doing continuing my workshop work as well. Yeah. And we're, we're sort of touching on it throughout the conversation, but through Nikki Alderson Coaching, you do so much great work. But I guess going back a step, you know, what about coaching really helped you find your own value? What would you say to others listening in about that? I 
had that piece of coaching which kept me in the job. And I will never forget the power of coaching. Yeah. And so if I can give women, men, whoever, um, a taste of that and, and the power of how it can be, not just in terms of there being a challenge that you need to get over, but in terms of going, what does it say, from good to great. You know, Andy Murray got a coach in when he was a really great tennis player, but he wanted to become a world champion and get all the Grand Slam titles and so on. And then he yeah. shifted his coach, I think, from his mum to it, Ivan Lendl. And it was then that he was able to bring all the medals home. And I think that's really what I want to convey to people, that, that coaching is a really powerful and useful tool um, for professional and personal development. Yeah, well said, well said. And we, we, again, we mentioned it briefly, but you've spoken at a whole host of sort of national conferences, events such as the Women in Law UK, Criminal Law Friends Society, conferences, variety of legal organisations, um, Women Lawyers and Mothers, Midland Circuit Women's Forum, Leeds Law Society, the list could go on and on and on. Um, but what do you most enjoy about being a motivational speaker? What do you look back on after doing that and get the most pleasure from? I think it's knowing that this journey hasn't in any way gone to waste, that, yeah. you know, there are people that I can reach out to and influence, even if it was one person in that room, to know that you've made a difference to them and maybe their mindset. Um, yeah, I think for me, that's the importance that you're making. I, I mean, I remember seeing a motivational speaker absolutely years ago, and it really sat with me. And I think if I, if I could just do that for one person... I would, yeah, I'd be happy. Yeah. And we talk about some of the, the, the topics as, as well that you, you sort of span across, but in, imposter syndrome seems to be a huge topic at the moment, especially on LinkedIn. How can coaching sort of help people with that? It's interesting about imposter syndrome because I'm coming across it more and more. Yeah. And the first thing I should say about it is what I have come across and I've found surprising is that there is some negative feminist commentary around imposter syndrome where some people have criticized the label as an old concept and actually it can become like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't agree with that approach because for me, what I am seeing in clients and also I've heard two judges at two different events recently talking about their own experiences of upskilling, having just become a appointed as a judge, that they've had their own challenges around, are they equipped to do the job? Do they have enough skills? You know, stepping into that leadership role and actually when they've owned this thing this label yeah. they've been able to deal with it and for me I do a lot of this in my workshops around you know how we reduce the volume of those negative voices and actually increase the volume on our skills um our strengths and and how we can move forward confidently and also use the network of people around us if we can't do it for ourselves there are lots of people who can buoy you up yeah. just for that point when you're stepping into your your space yeah and it's well said because you do, you do touch on some really really important topics as well mindset resilience confidence sort of personal performance well-being so people really should you know if these are important to them they should definitely be thinking about them and get in touch right yeah well you know i, I have a real um concern in this area because i think that law is so often around uh, you know images everything yeah. in law and therefore there is a big challenge I think around 
talking about this sort of stuff, especially with well-being. You know, there was Time to Talk Day the other week, um, an initiative to help talk about mental health and good mental health in the workplace. I talked to the Yorkshire Post about it and did a workshop for them. You know, I think in law, we could all do with having more of these conversations, both about personal development and also about mental health and how well-being is so integral without feeling like there is some kind of comeback or or losing face. There was a stat, it was a really interesting stat, two out of three barristers felt that talking about stress was a sign of um, weakness. Mm -hmm. And I just think that is such a pity that we have to deal with that. You know, people ought to be honest about how they're feeling, being able to, to talk openly about it. Absolutely. And, and and talking openly and exposure, you know, success keeps knocking at your door at the moment. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I saw you on the recent TV appearance on Sky News, no less. So uh, tell us all about that. What were you discussing and how did that come about? Well, I was on the school run on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> As you do. And the phone went an unknown number and I answered it and it was Sky News saying, <laughs> hi, we'd like to come and interview you in respect of um, the reducing numbers of women in leadership positions in law yeah. um it was a, a force society report on the gender pay gap and they wanted my take on it i mean obviously i was absolutely taken aback thrilled at the same time and next thing day later camera crew arrived at my <laughs> my house um and the kids all got involved so it was very funny um but yeah i mean this for me is not only it's about the power of the message that hopefully i'm getting out there but also the power of LinkedIn, Twitter, social media to increase your profile, increase your reach in terms of your message as well. Because as well, I, you know, I was a finalist in the International Coach Award um, last year. I'm coaching women all around the world, America, Sweden, France, Amsterdam. You know, you know that wouldn't have been possible years ago. And I guess that's why this opportunity with Sky News came about. So, And that was a great point because I was going to say, how have you found social media to be so helpful for you and, you know, all of your initiatives? Because I guess even this conversation today is a kind of LinkedIn discussion. You and I have been sort of, you know, chatting away over the various years. But yeah, how have you found it? Sort of tell us a bit more because I think that's really helpful because you, you, you're mastering it at the moment. Yeah, but that was a conscious decision. And it's interesting in business when you start out, you have to try things out. And I think one of your LinkedIn posts even recently was talking about how you might try things and fail. But actually, there is no such thing as failure. It's just a learning point. On that point, I started out in business. And first off, for maybe six months, I was a generic coach. And, you know, that didn't go so well. So then it was like, right, I'm a coach for lawyers. and That worked much better. Then I niched a bit more, female lawyers. And then having done a lot of face-to-face networking, which whilst I was building my business was really helpful, about two years later was when the penny dropped with me that I need to be absolutely focused and targeted in what I do, the message I deliver and to whom I deliver it. And it's then that I realized the power of social media. Um, I think it was January of last year, I decided I was going to absolutely do a campaign, if you like, of social media marketing, which was blogging, establishing myself as an expert. And that was the culmination, culminating in the the writing of the book. And it couldn't have gone better in terms of opportunities coming my way 
helping other people. And I mean, conversations like this, I, I, I cannot say how much I love LinkedIn. It's yeah. just brilliant. And what I love about LinkedIn as well is it seems to me professional, positive, and really, you know, people are there not just to take, but also to give. And, and there's um, people help each other. Whereas for me, there's something about, I, I use Twitter something <laughs> i'm i'm a massive advocate of linkedin i think i'm uh, other social media i touch on but i just think linkedin if you're really thinking about it and you want to get on i think just go all in and 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 don't be, be shy about it because i think linkedin is just going to be somewhere in 10 years time that people didn't even think would be possible that's generally my view on it um so i'm quite bullish for if you're, you're dormant on linkedin at the moment i think you're missing a trick i absolutely agree with you um so you know let's talk about law firms then you know what do you think they could be doing better to retain female talent you know, there's still a long way to go. There's some good work being done, but what are some of the common themes and what do you think can be done or more can be done? There should be better consideration around flexible working. That can definitely be used more advantageously. And I think there are some firms who are just totally resistant to that idea because they're going to lose fantastic talent in career break returners, for example, who cannot be necessarily visible in the office at all times. So that is one issue. Um, secondly, I think that there should be some kind of move away from the time-based business model in we should be looking more at output rather than um, time. Yeah. Because, you know, we are hearing now that a lot of women in particular can work from home, but they are missing out on that visibility within the office or, you know, going to networking events and so on and so forth. But actually, they still have a huge amount to, to give. And, and if you looked at what they are producing as an as a outcome, better that than ticking off every six-minute unit. And that makes more sense to me because there's never been a largest amount of fixed-fee work out there at the moment. So if you're measuring on output, that's it, the two connect. Absolutely. I don't see it as a, a disconnect, but it's still, like you say, I still think there's a long way to go. But that's a very, very valid point. Um Tell us more about your mentoring work because the coaching academy, what that involves, just tell us a lot because people are always looking for new mentors. And like you say, you're always looking for LinkedIn. But yeah, tell us more about some of your mentoring work. Yeah, I think we have to distinguish here between coaching and mentoring because coaching is what I generally do. I have also, though, mentored for the Coaching Academy and also for LinkedIn, um, not LinkedIn Leads, Lean In Leads, which is another sort of female empowerment group in, in Leeds based on Cheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. Um, mentoring is more around advising someone and letting them follow a path similar to yours. Coaching is less, it isn't advisory. It's more about, you know, where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself and how are you going to get there? But yeah, I do both. And sometimes now, because of my background, I'm finding that the coaching I do is generally coaching. But yeah. then if the women that I'm coaching want more advisory stuff, that's when I say to them, right, if if you want more about that, I can come out of the coach role and I can go into mentor mode. Yeah. And that's kind of what I do. And what are the future ambitions for for, for Nikki Alderson consult, um, consulting, coaching, shall we say, <laughs> I'll get my words out. So, you know, it's done so much already, but do you sort of, you know, you, you say very goal orientated, you've kind of got your own plan, you know, what does the future look like? Yeah, I think this year, as I say, maybe, maybe three things. Firstly, more um, speaker engagements. Secondly, expanding the business outside of purely law. Because I do think, I mean, I was asked in a, um, I had a discussion this morning just with an insurance company. I think there's a lot of work to be done in financial services as well. So that's another thing I'd like to do. 
to, to branch out from law. And thirdly, not this year, but at some point, people are asking me to write a book. I, I will do, I think. I'm asking you to write another book, so uh, please do. <laughs> I might need some more material. But yeah, if you've got any ideas, send them along. <laughs> Definitely. And listen, we've talked about so much there that you're doing and you, you, you don't sit still and I really admire that, but you also do allow time for family time. So what do you do for downtime? What have you got planned holidays wise this year? Sort of talk us through your downtime moments. Yeah, well, downtime moments for me are in the week. Ordinarily, I'm going to circuit classes regularly and that is really, really important to me. Yeah. Um, and I still fit that in around everything else. Um, family time is Saturdays, usually just the running around facilitating the family and no me or me and my husband time. Yeah. And then Sundays, it might be more of a country walk, going back to the Leeds point earlier. Um, and <laughs> holidays, it makes me laugh. Um, this year, we're having a week in Wales. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's it. But, you know, we've got big ambitions for next year, so we'll see where <laughs> Well, exciting times ahead, no doubt. And, and Nikki, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. For everyone who no doubt has probably picked up loads of great tidbits, insights, or wants to get in touch there, how would you suggest people get in touch with you? What's the best form of way? Do you want to give your sort of LinkedIn a shout out or any of your social media if people want to kind of get in touch? Yeah, I think the, the best way to ensure that I respond would be to write an email to Nikki at NikkiAldersonCoaching.com. But also to link in with me but maybe with a personal message about where you've heard of me or you know why we should connect um because i get a lot of requests and i like to keep my network focused so yeah that's mainly the ways you can contact me great well thanks a million for popping on nick it's been an absolute pleasure um, i'm sure we're going to see you again on the legally speaking podcast uh, at some stage so i'm sure all our listeners also found that really truly inspiring and thought-provoking so safe travel back to north thank and uh, you. over and out <laughs> thank you